0: One of my favorite uh, creatures is an octopus. I, I love oc- octopus. I just I think they're fascinating creatures. They blend in with their environment. I love the big head, and I love the tentacles. Some of you ate octopus Wednesday night in the seafood gumbo and didn't know it, but if, if something was a little chewy, that was a tentacle. My first experience with eating octopus, and was one of my last, was pickled octopus. And the taste was a bit funky, but it was the suction cup stuck to the side of my tongue that caused me to think, this is the last time I'll try octopus. I used to approach the Christian life like the eight tentacles of an octopus, and I used to Believe that life flowed from the tentacles up to the big head. And so I would work on the specific legs of the octopus. I would work on evangelism. And when I got sharing the gospel real good, I realized my Bible study was weak. So I'd go study my Bible for a while and work on that tentacle. And then I would pray for a while because that's what the preacher was preaching about in that particular month. And we'd all run down and And pray our hearts out. We get the prayer thing right. And I'd work on that tentacle. And then I'd run over to this and to that. I'd read this book and that emphasis and whatever the flavor of the month was, I'd work on. Thinking that all that fed up into the head. And all the time in my Christian life, the head was ignored. Until I realized that by a focus of the head... Life flows into the tentacles. I was reminded of this last week when I met with a couple preachers, which isn't always my favorite lunch appointment, but I do it occasionally to stay abreast of what's going on, and they shared a program of evangelism that they, what they bring to churches, and by the time we got done, I'm pretty sure they didn't know what was up with me. I introduced to them a concept called organic evangelism. I'm pretty sure this morning it's the topic of at least one of their sermons in their church. (laughs) The dangers of organic evangelism. (laughs) And this is what I told my friends, and they are my friends, and I did have a good lunch with them. I said, this is what I believe. That if we focus our lives on Jesus Christ and Him alone, that evangelism will naturally, organically happen in our lives all the time, everywhere we go, without the need of a program. And of course, they threw me a thousand verses, and I threw a couple back. You know, in the book of Acts, when the early church met in Antioch, it says, as they ministered to the Lord, as they ministered to the Lord, the Holy Spirit said, Take out two of you and send you on the mission field. There was no program for missions. There was a ministry to Jesus Christ. And when we focus our lives on Him, all of a sudden, Bible study comes alive because that's the source. Evangelism happens naturally because He's the source. Prayer is spontaneous and beautiful. Because the head is being focused on, and that's the source. It's simple, isn't it? Uh, The young man told me, I guess it was part of the program to sell the thing. He said, you know, it takes 10,000 hours to learn a new habit. Did you know that? And I said, no. And he said, yeah, 10,000, I guess their program has 10,000 hours of training for evangelism to learn evangelism. I mean, I was getting confused as he was sharing all that, how simple it is Just to focus on Jesus Christ. And then he does the work. He does the work. Now, I say that because in Joshua, we are focused on the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant. This is what the nation of Israel was told to look to as they crossed the Jordan. And the Ark of the Covenant is a picture of Jesus Christ himself. Within that Ark we talked about a couple weeks ago was the stone tablets the law was the pot of, was really a gold pot of honey, or a honey, manna, which is a honey bread of manna, and the rod of Aaron that budded. This is Christ. This is the prophet, the priest, and the king. This is Christ in the Ark of the Covenant. So go with me there to to chapter 3 of the book of Joshua. Book of Joshua, chapter 3. And we'll center our thoughts this morning down on verse 7. Verse 7 of chapter 3 of the book of Joshua. And the Lord said to Joshua, I take this to be a private conversation. Today I will begin to exalt you In the sight of all Israel, that they may know that as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. Notice the exaltation of Joshua. It wasn't the exaltation of Joshua, it was the Lord exalting Joshua in the sight of the people. Very important distinction, because God is not in the business of exalting man, but in the eyes of of Israel, in their sight, God wanted to place Joshua in a place of respect and honor so that they would listen to him and follow his directives. Now I pause in the message just long enough to tell you this has always been a requirement of spiritual leadership and of those who choose to join a church and to follow a church. That you have the element of respect for those who lead, preach, sing, and share with you the word of God. You cannot and you will not listen to me preach the word of God if there is not respect for this position and respect for the preacher himself. You just won't. And that's not elevating the preacher. That's just understanding that God speaks through the word, through the preacher, and you get the word of God here as we communicate it to you. It's as simple as that. If you don't respect the place of leadership in the man himself as a person, if he's not living and walking what he's preaching, you can't listen to him. When We've all had the experience of having listened to preachers and then found out things about them that were not full of integrity and it was hard to listen to him anymore, was it not? Was it not? Now, preachers are not going to be perfect. Joshua wasn't perfect. But there's always an element that must be respected. That's why a prophet has no honor in his own country. Those who become too familiar lose an element of respect to listen carefully. So anyway, Joshua, that's, that's the idea. Now, you know Joshua wasn't to be elevated because uh, in verse 8, The Lord switches the attention back to him, and he says, and as for you, basically do what I tell you to do. I love that. The Lord says, in the sight of the people, I'm going to begin to elevate you and exalt you so they'll listen and respect you, but as for you, you just simply do what I'm telling you to do. That's good, isn't it? That's good. You're not elevated. They'll see you as that, but you are not elevated you obey me you listen to what I say and do what I say and this is the command that he gives him he says command the priests who bear the ark of the covenant now let's talk about bearing the ark of the covenant Um, there were four rings in the corner of the chest if you will that carried these elements Now, you remember, the chest was made out of Achaia wood, which is a a desert wood. It's found in in the desert between Egypt and Canaan. It's a light wood. It's not heavy wood. It was overladen with gold, but it was not a big box. Uh, It was a certain amount of cubits. Breaking down to footage, it was about four foot long, two foot wide, two foot high. So we're not talking about a coffin-sized box here. There were four rings in the corners. There were acai sticks or, or rods overladen with gold put through those eyelets in the corners, hoisted up on the shoulders of four priests, four men, as they carried it. It was four foot, two foot, two foot, not a big box. I don't know if you've ever thought about the guys in the Jordan holding this, why two million Jews crossed over. I don't know if you've ever held anything for a long period of time. This was not that heavy. So I feel better for the priests, don't you? They had to do this. You know Christ is not heavy. He's light. You know that. His burden that he lays upon you is a light thing. Not heavy. The priests who bear it, the preachers who preach it, should be full of freedom and joy. It's a wonderful thing to preach Christ to, you know that? It's a wonderful thing to offer you to the person of Jesus who thrills your heart, thrills your soul, lifts you and carries you through life. Oh, what a burden it is for preachers to preach law upon you, to corral you and manipulate you and, 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 and guilt you into things. I heard this morning that Larry sent an email to Susan, it says, you ought to lay down your life for me. To which Susan responded, you first. <laughs> oh, how hard it is to guilt and burden people with stuff. Shame on you, Larry, for doing that. How free it is to preach Jesus Christ. How light is the ark to lift up to folks. Uh, it's it's i tell you, you can preach this thing for 150 years if you live that long. You never get to the bottom of the joy of sharing the lightness of Jesus Christ. It's a light ark. It's not heavy. All right, let's go on. It's said here uh, in verse 8 that they bear the ark of the covenant. When you come to the brink of the waters of the Jordan, you shall stand, being the priest, you shall stand still in the Jordan. I got it? Carrying down, they were actually to walk into the waters of the Jordan. Their feet were to touch it. They were to get in foot deep and stand. Now, this is different than the Red Sea. No Israelite broke the water in the Red Sea. If you remember Charlton Heston, he picked up that great rod and held it over the water, and it split in two. Remember? That's salvation. That's the work of God. This is the work of God, but watch this. Now, there's an entering in of the authority by faith of the priest to believe that if they put their feet in it, it will happen. The river will split and they'll go across. There's a stepping of authority. Now, you remember the River Jordan is not a picture of the troubles of life that we face, that we walk by faith and get through the troubles. No, no, no. The troubles of life are not in view in the Bible. What is in view is the sin within us, the flesh within us. That's what God wants to conquer. The circumstances of life are trivial compared to the flesh and sin that's in you. That's the big deal. So the River Jordan is the the mark where we see ourselves dead with Christ, alive with God, and the power of sin going across the Jordan, watch this, is broken. It is broken. Now, there are enemies and giants in the land. That is sin pockets within our life that we've allowed over a lifetime to get in. But that's not in view. The Jordan is the cutting off of the source of the root of the power of sin in our lives. That's our problem. You're going to find a phrase over and over again in the next few chapters, and it's the phrase of putting your foot down. They're going to put their foot down in the Jordan. Later on in the chapters, they're going to kill, they're going to capture five kings in the land. But before they kill those kings, I don't mind preaching it to you because I'm sure you'll, we'll all forget it by the time I get there. But what, before they killed him, Joshua took the leaders of Israel, the heads of the leaders, marched them in there, and they all put their foot on the necks of the kings. Then they killed them. There's something about putting a foot down on something that says, I claim this, this is mine, I'm not letting go. Yesterday, I was at the apartment and I'd done some work out of the balcony and it was 11.45 and I needed to do some work down in the truck and Karen was on the couch and I stopped at the door and I turned and I said this, I'll be back in 15 minutes and when I do, I want my lunch hot and on the table. There was no response from the couch. I knew it was a waste of verbiage, but I just wanted to say it. I just wanted to feel like I could put my foot down and something would happen. So I worked at the truck and came. I gave her 20 minutes. I gave her five extra minutes. I came up, and there it was, Karen on the couch, still just right there. Nothing was on the table. But we just, as men, we just once in a while want to, you know, talk like, We're in a charge, and it doesn't work, but we're just fun. We're going to put our foot down. It's the idea of putting your foot down. And by faith, they were to claim what God was promising to do. Now, don't don't miss that. That's vital. They put their feet in the water. All right, let's go on. You can see that over and over again. Verse 9. And Joshua said to the people of Israel, Come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. And Joshua said, Today the Lord is going to exalt me in your eyes. It's not there, is it? You and I might be tempted to say that. That's the the message we just got from God. Today I'm going to begin to exalt you in the eyes of the people. Well, I might have got them together and said, hey, today I'm going to be big stuff. But do you you see the integrity? Do you see Joshua never exalted himself? He let God do that. He would not do it himself. When he addressed the people, he gave them the plan of what God was going to do. You see that? There was no Joshua in the deal. There must be none of us. In any of this. So let's go on. They said, Let's see what he really said. Come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. And Joshua said. Here is how you shall know. I love that. Not that you may feel. That you may think. This is how you shall know. Notice he says. That the living God. In contrast to the dead gods in Canaan. The living God. Is going to lead us over. That the living God is first of all among you step one you see it there you know you know you know that god is with you one of the things the young man said at lunch and he's a young fella he's very excited about the program of evangelism and i was trying to share our position of you know you focus on christ and you you just can't you just and he said this he said well what about in the last year in sharing the gospel?" I have felt closer to Christ than ever before. This is what I said to him. I said, there's something, I said, first of all, do not allow your experience to tell you your theology. Got it? Don't let whatever experience you have dictate what you think is true." And I told him, I said, if that's true, the Charismatics got it going on because they're experiencing all this running around, hollering and screaming, and they're all, you know, speaking in tongues, and they say they feel closer to God. Well, the whole thing's unbiblical. It's not the truth. But by their experience, they feel this closeness. They're allowing their experience to dictate their theology. I said, young man, I said, when you build a ladder down here up to God, you're always going to get it wrong. Go up to heaven and find truth and let that come down here. You see, you, you see the difference? And this is what I said to him. I said, there's something way beyond experience or feeling. It's knowing he is always with you. It's knowing. I don't have to feel it. I know. It's a settled thing. It's a settled thing. It's a done thing. It's, it's a quiet Sit in the corner and you can focus on life because you know, you know, you know, you know he's always there. And he's always there in his fullness. No matter what happens in life, he is there. So second thing, notice. This is how you shall know that the living God is among you and that he will without fail drive out from before you the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hittites, the Hiv- uh, Hivites, the parasites and the, uh, the you know, I practice these all week long, and I'm tired right now, so I've, I'm just going to say that the seven nations in Canaan land <laughs> mosquito bites, whatever you want to say there. <laughs> it's interesting to me that there are seven. Seven is God's number for completion these seven nations that are in Canaan that God said, I will drive all of them out. They're gone. That is God's picture of driving every pocket of sin within our life gone. His desire in the process of sanctification is for you to be completely free of everything, of every sin, small and large, Big and little, sin that you don't even know is there, brings it up, reveals it, he will drive it out. I love that, don't you? He'll do it. Never excuse sin in your life. Never. Christ in us drives it out. Never allow sin in your life. Never excuse it and say, well, my father was like that and my grandfather was like that and, and, and you know, everybody we down to Adam was like that. That's just something in our family. We're just warriors. We're just worriers. Some people, some people carry worry like it was a crown, like something to be proud of. It's not. Fretfulness is a lack of trust in the Lord. Anything, he wants to drive it all out. Do you know how free he wants to make us? Do you understand how free he wants to work in our lives? Ah, no, it's not possible. With God, it is possible. Ah, oh, you don't know my past. What has your past got to do with it? You don't know what I've dealt with. You, you don't know who I live with. You don't know, <laughs> you know, I, boy, I... You don't know where I work, do you, Mike? (laughs) I worked in those places. I know exactly where you work. I know the kind of people you dealt with because I've dealt with them all my life just like you have. But more than that, I know Mike. And you know you. And there's not a pocket of sin he does not want to drive out. Every one of those people he wants gone. Gone, gone, gone. Let's go on. Verse 11. behold, the ark... Behold the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth. This is the first time in all the Bible this expression is given. It wasn't given in the first five books of the Bible. This is the first time he is described as the Lord of the whole earth. Here's this conquering of Canaan land and here's this description of God over all the earth. I I think it kind of implies that God is not the God who wants to set Israel free. He's the God who wants to set all the earth free, every bit of it. It goes on and says, Behold, the ark of the Lord of all the earth is passing over before you into the Jordan. Now therefore, take 12 men from the tribes of Israel, from each tribe a man. We're going to get back to the 12 men next week, but 12 is the number of government of God's government on earth. It is the number in the Bible of God's governmental authority as he works through men there were 12 patriarchs there are 12 apostles in the new jerusalem there will be 12 gates with the name of each apostle above the gate 12 is 6 plus 6 6 is the number of man man working with man 6 working with 6 under the leadership of God, to bring authority and government on this earth. Perfect government. Not the governments we see now over all the earth. And there are some that are better than others. But all of them are flawed, except the government of God. And he's bringing that government on earth. Praise the Lord. Amen. Amen. So this is the 12. This is his governing number And those 12 are going to do something quite significant next week. Let's go on. Now therefore take 12 men, verse 13, and when the soles of the feet of the priests, see there it is again, specifically the soles of the feet of the priests, bearing the ark of the Lord, bearing Christ, the Lord of all the earth, shall rest in the waters of Jordan. The waters of of the Jordan shall be cut off from flowing, and the waters coming down from above, upstream, shall stand up in one heap. Now this is the first time that two million Jews are listening to the instruction of what God's going to do, because for three days they're looking at a Jordan River overflowing its banks. There's absolutely no way they're getting across there. No way. They'll be drowned. And they're wondering what's God gonna do? And he just got the plan. And the plan's kind of wild, isn't it? No boats, no bridge, no work of man. One time, a few verses before it says, Consecrate yourselves to the Lord. Clear your mind. Forget your past. Forget the distractions. Drop religion on, a, on, the, on, the, on the heap, look to the ark, follow the leader. I smile because the commentaries that I read on these passages are all over the place. They'll take, they'll take one term, consecrate yourself to the Lord, and they'll say that Israel needed to purify their motives. They needed to do this and do that. They needed to get sin out of the camp. It took three days and they were repenting of all kind of sin that was going on. And they were cleaning themselves and they were... doesn't say any of that. It just says clear your mind. Set your mind apart to listen to a plan that will make no sense to you at all. And then follow with all your heart. Good stuff. Simple, isn't it? Not You know, I I just almost almost don't read the commentaries anymore. It's hard to find stuff. Let's go on because I just sense we need to go a few more verses. Verse 14. So when the people set out from their tents, I love that. They set out from their tents, their ordinary lives, to pass over the Jordan with the priests, bearing the Ark of the Covenant before the people. I love this. This is how it bears out. This is what happens. Verse 15. And as soon as those bearing the ark had come as far as the Jordan, and the feet of the priests bearing the ark were dipped in the brink of the water. Parentheses. parenthetical thought. Just to let you know that the Jordan overflows its banks throughout the time of harvest. It was overflowing. It was the time of harvest. That the waters coming down from above stood and rose up a heap. Notice, notice a very far way off at a city called, you look at it. You look at it. What's the city called? Adam. Is that good or what? The flesh of Adam cut off at the city of Adam. Notice how far away it is. I take it that they couldn't see it. That it was reported to Joshua much later up in the city. All of a sudden, this big heap of water built up at the city. And he was told it. All they knew is was cut off. Why was it cut off so very far away? Listen carefully. When Christ died, he broke the power of sin in your life. You didn't see it. You weren't there. Not only that is the mystery. You will never see it. You will never understand the operation of it. He didn't let those two million Jews see the heaped up water because they would never understand. It is a mystery to us how we died with Christ and that breaks the power of sin. I don't don't get it. I'm not supposed to understand it. I'm supposed to believe it. Cut off at the city of Adam. Adam's flesh cut off. Isn't that beautiful? What a beautiful picture. Let's go on. The city that is beside Zarethan and those flowing down from the Sea of Arabah, the salt sea, were completely cut off. And the people passed over opposite Jericho. Now the priests bearing the ark of the covenant of the Lord stood firmly on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan. And all Israel, all two million of them, passed over on dry ground until all the nation finished passing Over the Jordan. Isn't that that amazing? What a moment. Two million Jews. Dry ground. Priest standing in the standing in the midst, holding the ark. And as they looked at Christ, the Jordan was nothing. Good stuff, isn't it? It is the duty of the priest to bear the ark. It is the duty of the preachers and the teachers and those who communicate Christianity to bear the message of Jesus Christ. Now, I know that sounds simplistic, and I know that sounds rudimentary. But you can't believe how many sermons are given on trivial stuff that doesn't amount to a hill of beans. I visited a church years ago in preparation for a marriage seminar where the entire sermon was on the topic of open or closed communion, which is biblical. How many of y'all even know what open and closed communion is? Yeah, about seven or eight of you. That's that's the message that day I got. When I come and sit in a church, I want to hear about Jesus Christ. I want to hear what Christ has done in breaking the power of sin. I want to hear about his life and how it communicates to my soul. I don't want to hear debates on this or that and any kind of topics. It is our responsibility as teachers and preachers to stay so, I almost said stinking. but It's just not a good word. (laughs) To stay so focused on the person and work of the gospel of Jesus Christ that that's really all we talk about. We bear the ark. If our messages aren't centered in Jesus Christ, we're all wasting our time, are we not? You don't need to hear about how to share the gospel more. You need to know how much Jesus is in you, and then you'll go share the gospel nobody's got to tell you. You don't need that. You don't need me to bark at you about studying your Bible. When you know God is always around you, the love for the Word of God will always come to you. I don't need to hound you about your prayer life or church attendance. When you love Jesus and you know how much he loves you, all that stuff just takes care of itself. We bear the ark. We bear Christ. That's all we are to bear. Number two, it is God's work to drive out sin. It is not yours. You can't do it. God has to do it. What is impossible with man is possible with God. We can do a lot of things we can get a job, we can work, we can live. We can be safe, we can feed ourselves. But there's one thing you can't do. And that's drive out sin inside of your life. And trust me, there's an awful lot of effort by man to get rid of sin. Memorizing scripture. You got a particular area of sin, so you get all the scriptures attained to that thing, you just you start quoting them like like that has some kind of magic. You can't drive out sin. That's the work of God.